Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me. I am so glad to share this time with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I want to encourage you to subscribe to always get the next podcast. Well, it's been a little while since we have posted a new podcast. The last two weeks has seen a number of guest speakers in our worship service at Valley View. And when Valley View has guest speakers, we've got to put our podcast on hold. We don't have a way of recording live right in the middle of service yet. So I want to thank you all for your patience and waiting for this new episode to come out. I'm excited today to dig back into the letter of 1 John with you. Next week will be our final week in this letter. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. This summer, the Walker family got to do a little bit of camping, and on one occasion, we got to do a little bit of a hike along the rim of a gorge. It was a beautiful and peaceful place. I was struck by how magnificent the trees were, and maybe it's because I had gotten away from hiking over the last several years, and and it was the memory of all those past hikes as a child were just flooding back into me, Uh, but to me, it just seemed that those trees were exceptionally beautiful. They were very tall. They, They just seemed unusual tall to me, and I'm not sure if it was their age or the work of conservation that was done in that area, or even if it was just a species of tree prone to tall growth, but perhaps it's because these trees were in a gorge, a ravine, and they had to stretch high to reach beyond the shadows of the ravine walls to catch the sunlight. As I walked along, I noticed the trees that grew along the edge of the gorge, the ravine, uh, they had an interesting feature. I had spent so much time looking up at these beautiful tall trees that I had not thought to look at their base, their, the, the part attached to the ground, the roots, essentially. And the trees at the edge of the ravine had exhibited wild root formations. I am sure uh, that one cause of these wild root formations was the passage of time. As the trees grew, their roots were deep in the rich soil, but at some point, some of that soil had fallen away and revealed these mighty roots that hold them in place. And certainly some of the formations were from trees trying to grow out of the face of the rock. So they grew out horizontally and then went up into the air. And we often forget how deep root systems uh, of plants are. Each tree and really any plant has an essential system that works very hard beyond our sight. Without that system, those trees couldn't survive and they couldn't hang on to the edge of that ravine. And in many ways, it's the same for you and me. To live well, we need to have a strong root system. And if you want healthy communities, healthy families, friendships, and a healthy self, you need a root system planted in God. And today I want to talk about one of those parts of God, one of the attributes of God that we need to be rooted into. So, if you want life that is good, healthy, and whole, it comes from loving yourself, and loving the people around you with a love that is rooted in God alone. That's the key. If we want to be healthy, and today we're talking about love, we've got to love with a love that is rooted in God alone. This is a love that works for the best of others and takes seriously God's command to love. 
Well, as I mentioned, this week and next are our final two weeks in 1 John. We will spend both weeks in 1 John chapter 4 reading about love. And while our culture treats love as something for our pleasure, John tells us that love is a holy thing. It's from God. Remember, John's writing to a church in turmoil. They're divided. They're failing to show godly love to one another. All they can see was their differences instead of what they shared in common, that they were each made in the image of God, that they're each precious to God, and that out of love, Jesus sacrificed himself for each of them. And they each had a common calling, a mission to share that love with the world and especially with each other. When we love with holy, godly love, division, anger, jealousy, bitterness will give way to peace and healthy relationships. Abandoning godly love, though, is dangerous. It leads to division. It leads to distrust. And it leads to restlessness within the community. So, let's go and read the text from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. This text that I've just read is quickly becoming one of my favorite descriptions of love in the Bible. When it comes to such descriptions of love, the most famous passage of scripture that is used to, to describe love is perhaps found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, love is patient, love is kind. And I've read that at many weddings. And uh, 1 Corinthians 13, is it's a wonderful description of love. But 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12, what we just read, should be considered a close second, if not the love passage of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love is, that it's patient, kind, all that. 1 John tells us where love comes from. It tells us what love does and invites us to love others with God's love. Our text today can be divided up into three pairs of verses. Verses 7 and 8, talking about how God is love. Verses 9 and 10, where it says God demonstrates love. And finally, verses 11 and 12, where God commands you and I to love. So, let's look at the first pair of verses. That's uh, verses 7 and 8. And the theme there that I want you to grab is that God is is love. Seven and eight tell us that God is love. He is the source. And anybody who wants to know him must love with godly love. It also tells us the opposite's true. A person who refused to love, refuses to love with godly love, they cannot know God. So, an absence of love means an absence of relationship with God. But the key from this text is that love comes from God. This world is full of all kinds of descriptions of love. 
But the only ones that really are love are from God and God alone. Because there's all kinds of ideas of what love can be. But the only thing that really is love comes from God. It has to come from Him for it to really be love. Now, the New Testament uses several Greek words uh, that we translate into love. There's philos, philos, which describes camaraderie or brotherly love. There's eros, which is describing romantic love. And then there's a word storge. It's the rarest of the words for love that's in the New Testament. In fact, actually, uh, storge isn't directly in the New Testament. There's just a compound version of that word in the New Testament. It's used to describe family affection. Um, the opposite of storge is also used a bit in the New Testament, uh, the absence of regard for one's family. Um, <sighs> philos, eros, and storge all describe what we might call love. In fact, we use that English word, love, whenever those three words show up, but none of them are used in our text today. God has seen fit to use the word agape. And this word describes a love that is willing to sacrifice for others. This is a love that is unconditional. All the other types of loves have limits, but agape does not. 1 John 4, 12-17 is packed full of the word love. Agape, in its various forms, appears 15 times in these six verses. And God wants our attention when it comes to understanding love. Now, you might be more interested in hearing about family love or romantic love or even uh, fellowship or community love, but none of those types of love can work without agape love. For love to work, for it to function the way it's supposed to, it must find its source in God, and it must find its sustaining power in God. Often, we think of types of love separately. We, we create those categories. I mean, Greek had different categories for love. We think, well, there's romantic love over here, and family over there, and friendship, but none of these are strong enough to last on their own, and none of them are really love on their own. All of these types of love need to reside in godly love. Love comes from God. That's what the passage tells us. And the passage also tells us that God is love. See, John has a habit of telling us who God is. And there's a couple of places you can go in his writings. Like 1 John 1 through 5, we read that God is light. The passage reads like this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 24, we're told that God is spirit. I'll just read it for you here. Uh, verse 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And 1 John 4, 8, which we've already read today, tells us that God is love. And it reads like this, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love 
love. God is the source of genuine love. If you get confused on the source, you can get into a lot of trouble. And as I was studying for this message, I was really wanting to focus on God as the source of love. So, I was trying to look up all different sorts of things on the source and having the right source and and and, and what happens when you have the wrong source. And, and there's all kinds of illustrations you can use. But one, it's a silly thing that stuck in my mind. It was a little joke that goes like this. There was a sign at a roadside stand in New Jersey. It only had three words on it of what was being sold at that stand, and the three words read with no punctuation, eggs produce chicken. Three words, no punctuation. Maybe they should have changed it around and said chickens produce eggs. And see, there you go. They're trying to sell produce, but we think well, eggs. Uh, eggs and chickens come from eggs and eggs make chickens. And so then you have the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? What's the source? Well, they're not interchangeable. And it's not that way with God and love. God is love. God is the source of love. You and I need to be careful because the opposite is not true. Many people try to claim the opposite. And they'll say, well, if God is love, then love must be God. As though anything wrapped in The word loved is now a holy thing, but it doesn't work that way. This sort of thinking quickly leads to love becoming a false God that we worship. Love must find its source in God. If you try to find love without God at the source, you will only find at best pale imitations of love, and at worst you will encounter selfishness and greed. So, why is it important to know that God is love? Well, God is love, and those who encounter Him will have the power to become loving persons. Human love must flow from God. Real love, it's modeled after God. Notice that what I said there, real love is modeled after God. I didn't say real love is modeled after God's love. Real love is rooted in the source, God. So, don't just imitate God's love. Real love is modeled after God. And how do we model love after God? Well, real love must be born out of a relationship with Him, with God. No matter how well you love someone or how much they love you, that love will never be complete without God behind it. It can never reach its true potential unless God is at the source. Our society makes many claims about marriage. Let's think about that for a moment. Our society will say, well, it's two people that make each other happy. It's two people that are committed to each other. That that sounds pretty good. Uh, One that always drives me crazy when you see it in the movies is, is that they say that relationship is when you find the person that completes you. But for marriage to be healthy, you need to make two shifts in your understanding of marriage. The first shift is from thinking about what you get out of the marriage into what you give to the other person. So, that's step one. But that's not real marriage either. You must shift again from from getting to giving and then another shift to building a union. The Bible speaks of marriage as a union, one flesh. Biblical marriage is guarding, the guarding of that union. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. It's a union. 
Now let's take it a step further because that union is between husband and wife, but it's also a union of three persons, a wife, a husband, and God. I love to read this passage at weddings from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, where it says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Simply put, if you want to have real love in your marriage, you must have a relationship with God. Any marriage that misses this component, no matter how good, will always come up short. And the same is true of any sort of relationship, whether it's a family relationship, a friendship, a a work relationship, something with your neighbor. If you take God out of that relationship, whatever the state of it is, it will always come up short. God is love. He is the source of love. Refuse to settle for any form of love that is not rooted in God alone. Let's go on to the second pair of verses in 1 John that we want to look at. And those verses are 9 and 10. And in those verses, we are told that God demonstrates love. I mentioned earlier that agape that word love, appears 15 times in our text today. Twice it appears as an address, as a a phrase maybe dear friends, if you're reading the NIV, or beloved, if you're reading another translation. That word's agape tois. It shows up a couple of times, twice. Uh, Five times, agape shows up as a noun throughout the passage. This is what love is. But eight times, which is far more than the other two. And it's, it's more than the uh, address and more than the noun uh, combined. Eight times agape appears as a verb, agapao. It's something that's done. It's an active thing. And there's a lesson to be learned there. Love is a verb. Love must be demonstrated. It's not just a nice word. It's not just an idea. It's not a mere, it's no mere philosophy. I would warn you against any person who uses the word love, but is, does not demonstrate godly love. If you get nothing out of today, hear and see this. God demonstrates love for you through the atoning sacrifice of his son, Jesus. God demonstrates love for you through the atoning sacrifice of his son, Jesus. That is love in action. Maybe when you read the text today or when you heard me reading it, it reminded you of another passage. There's John 3.16, perhaps one of the most famous scripture verses of the Bible. It's echoed here in 1 John chapter 4. John 3.16 reads like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The action of love in that verse is that God gave his Son. Now, let's look again at John, First uh, John 4.9, where it says, This is how... God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And so you hear the echoes. God loves us. And he demonstrates that love. He sent his one and only son so that we could have life. 
when I study a passage of Scripture, I like to ask the question, and I pray through this question, what's the heart of this text? And this is usually a verse that is key to the whole passage. Everything in it just hangs upon this one verse. And lots of people mistake the heart of 1 John 4. Because there's an easy choice in this. And I've already mentioned it several times. In fact, it was my first point that I wanted you to think about in our text today. That is, God is love. People grab onto that phrase and say, that's the heart of this passage. God is love. And that quote is thrown around in conversation in our world today without even knowing where it's from or that it's the, or how important those words are that are uttered. These words are true. God is love. And they're critically important, but they're not the heartbeat of the text. The heartbeat is that God loved you and me so much that he sent his son for us. God is love. Well, that's a great phrase, and it's a good part of this text. But verse 10, I believe, is where the heart of the text is. And it reads like this. This is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. Love is from God first. Love is a verb. It's something that's done. Love is redemptive and restorative. Each and every person that walks this earth has a problem with sin. And that sin keeps us from God, and it keeps us from being who God has made us to be. It keeps us from realizing our full worth and our full potential. And it leaves us in a state of fear and anger and hate and chaos and jealousy and selfishness and a a state of being hurt and sick and struggle. Sin denies you and me of our worth. But God's love sees your worth, sees you, and he acts on it. God's love is determined to cleanse you, to redeem you, and to restore you if you would just receive And love finds its absolute definition in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus paid for, covers over our sin by his sacrifice, by his blood shed upon the cross. 1 John 2, verse 2 says this about Jesus. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. God's love is active. God's love initiated the sending of Jesus. God's love is redeeming. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19 says this, that God was reconciling to the world the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God, this text is telling us that God is not content to say, "Hey, you know what? I know you're in sin and I, it's okay. I'll just overlook it." It's not like God saying, hey, it's no big deal. Don't worry. And it's not like God saying, well, let's just live and let live. Not so much. That's so much of what people today say when they look at their neighbors. They say, hey, you know, let's not have a fuss. Let's just, let's be okay with each other. Live and let live. God says his love is restorative and transformative and redemptive. God's love does not leave you where you're at, but wants the best for you. And it's for your best, even if you can't see what the best is yet. That's what I find so exciting about God's love uh, and, and, and what God does for us. What he's done through Jesus is he has prepared the best for us, even when we were unable to know what we needed yet. And that's what love does. 
It sacrifices, it redeems, God is love, and love sent his one and only son, Jesus, to rescue you and me. God is love. God demonstrates his love. And I want to take you to the final pair of verses in our text today, verses 11 and 12, where we need to see that God commands love. There's a flow of love in this text. It starts with God. It's shown by God, and then it's commanded of us. 1 John chapter 4, 6 through 12 shows us the journey of love. Our love must find its source in God, and human love must flow from God's love. But we also see that love is made complete when it reaches its intended goal. It flows from God through you and me and to others, and finally to others, and especially to fellow believers. Every person is made in the image of God, and God loves us. And since God loves, we too are designed to love one another. And that love must be about redeeming and giving life. We are called to love others because we're made in His image, and we we have a mission to love. Maybe think of it this way. This is an interesting story I ran into, but I think it gets us thinking about, I talked about being made in the image of God, and for for made in His image, we're supposed to love like He does. So, here's the story. It reads like this. Being made in God's image is also about God's purpose in the world, God through us. In order to understand how image is connected with this purpose, we need to understand a common practice in the ancient world. And then the author talks about something that's not so ancient, but pretty current. Since the end of the Second World War in 1945, North Korea has been ruled by the Kim family. Kim Il-sung and then his son Kim Jong-il ruled for over 66 years, demanding a total loyalty and even veneration. To this day, pictures of these leaders are hung in just about every home, office building, and school. There were over 500 statues of Kim Il-sung all around North Korea. Kim Il-sung's grandson, grandson Kim Jong-un, assumed power in 2011 and is now building three enormous statues on the highest mountain in North Korea as a tribute to himself, his father, and his grandfather. These pictures and statues are constant reminders to the people of North Korea that the Kims are in charge and they demand their loyalty. In the same way, to show where they ruled and reigned, kings in the ancient world would set up giant statues of themselves. The kings placed these images in the center of their cities and at the borders of their lands to remind people who was in charge. And thus, you and I have a job as image bearers of God. We are to show the world God is in charge. And the best way we can do this is through love that sacrificially redeems. One of the most important jobs of the Christian, well, the first job of a Christian is to share the gospel. But one of the best ways we do that is to remind people that they are precious to God. Do not miss the moments you have to let a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, or, or anyone really, to remind people who they are always pointing towards their worth. People do not know how important they are to God. 
Every person is made in the image. We bear his fingerprints. We are important to him. People need to know that they are made in the image of God. And most people feel like they got to earn their worth, or at least that their worth can be lost or taken away. And so if we want to demonstrate God's love, we must we need to see the worth in every person. We need to show the worth of every person. C.S. Lewis writes in The Weight of Glory, it's a, his book, Weight of Glory, he says this, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom with we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. C.S. Lewis is saying, there is a lot more to people than we often realize, and God calls us to love others the way that he has loved us. Maybe here's another way to think about it. This is the life of Father Damien. He was born into a poor Belgian farming family in 1840. His name then was Joseph de Voister. And he left school at age 13 to work on his parents' farm. Six years later, Joseph joined his brother in the Congregation of Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary, and he took the name of Damien. His life of mission began in 1864 when he volunteered to take his brother's place as a missionary in the Hawaiian Islands. For several years, Damien served on Honolulu until the bishop asked for volunteers to serve the quarantined lepers on Malo'okai. In 1873, at the the request of the bishop, Damien left for Malo'okai, where he took up residence and served as the advocate for the lepers. Father Damien became known as the leper priest. He devoted his life to the care for their physical, medical, and spiritual needs. He built houses for them, a church, a school, an orphanage. He set up choirs. It's said that he built 2,000 coffins so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. A leprosy sufferer once wrote, He overwhelms us with his care, and he himself builds our houses. He learned their language, he bound their wounds, and he lived close in ways that no one else was willing to live with lepers. Father Damien, it it was just simply said, he got close. And for this, the people loved him. Father Damien shocked the community one day as he began his message, We Lepers. Because now he was one of them. He had contracted leprosy. And it was this leprosy that he died from five years later in 1889. He was a man who constantly reminded people of their worth to God. Do not miss the opportunities all around you to look in the eyes of the person next to you, to serve them, and to demonstrate Christ's redemptive love to them. People are made in the image of God. And we have a mission to recognize them and remind them of their worth and bring the redemptive gospel of Jesus Christ to each person. Martin Luther says this, The more a person loves, the closer he approaches the image of God. When we obey the command to love, God will live in us. His love is made complete in us. The Christian and the church should be a place of loving reconciliation. Will you take up God's command to love? Will you advocate for those who have no voice? Will you proclaim worth for those who feel worthless? Will you point to the treasures of heaven to those who only want the crumbs of this earth? 
as we close today, I just want to remind you those three things. God is love. God demonstrates love and God commands love. So, we are to root in love. We are to uh, receive what God has done for us in love and we're to respond by loving others. So, settle only for love that is rooted in God. Any other kind of love falls short. And receive the love of God for your redemption and restoration. Receive Christ today and respond to God's command to love others. Will you today love others deeply, pointing tirelessly to their worth as God's creation? Let's pray. Father God, root each one of us in your love. This world has so many counterfeit loves. Help us to never settle for them, but to live only for godly love. Lord, help us to see anew and afresh the depth of your love, that you would send your one and only Son, Jesus, as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Lord, help us as your church to actively love others. Show us how we can love our neighbor, not just tolerating, but but letting them know you, helping them to know you and the deep sense of their worth that's from you. Help us to be a people that answer your command to love as you have loved. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.